you know, it's a great thing to sit right up here where I sit because uh, there's this wonderful singer named Leaf that I think most of us hear while, while we're singing. He just belts it out and he knows all the words. I'm pretty sure uh, we're going to be going to his concerts and stuff, but it, he's so excited to sing the worship songs. I think that's great. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Your Word says it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. You're not content with outward flattery. You want us. You want our hearts. And I believe that's what your message is this morning. I believe that each one of us here bear your image. And therefore we're yours. And I believe, God, that your word um, this morning is meant to mold us and change us and draw us near to you. And I know that I am good at stumbling when I speak. And I need you to speak through me. And Lord, I need you, we need you, to open up our ears and our hearts this morning and our minds and help us to grow. Help us not to fear the world or man in the world, but to be delighted in you so much that we have peace in you and we follow wherever you lead us. There is nothing greater than to know you. You alone are wise and holy. You're magnificent. You're powerful. You're righteous. Worthy of all our praise. And I thank you for each person in here this morning. In your name, amen. Hmm. I hope there are still a few of you that like me after this sermon. <clears throat> but... We'll find out. <laughs> it's not supposed to be about me. I know. But I love you all. <laughs> so we'll see what, what happens. We live in a, a wonderful country, don't we? Very powerful country. Country that's beautiful, that's grand, that has a lot of people in it. That is, that is pretty big relatively when you look at the rest of the world. You can travel all across the United States, go east to west, north and south. Get a whole bunch of different kinds of sceneries. Enjoy the different temperatures. I don't really enjoy the hot stuff, but Humboldt County is pretty good to me, but not my wife. Um, it's, it's super diverse. We have, we have a, a litany of different people that have come to the United States. Everyone wants to come to our country, it seems like. We're not our country, God's country. And with them bringing different cultures, beliefs, their foods. I enjoy their food a lot. I love our country in many different ways. There's a lot of things that we enjoy with our country. We also enjoy things like our, our form of government, by and large. Democracy. Not the best. And the kingdom of God is going to be the best. But it, but it is pretty good. Made by the people, for the people. We have freedoms. 
right? Freedom of speech, freedom of religion. We're, we're here this morning. We don't really have to worry. I don't think, I mean, it's possible someone could come in here and start shooting us. But by and large, in the United States, we, we meet every Sunday. And we don't have to worry about stuff like that. We, we have a lot of freedoms. We also value our powerful military. At least I do. I mean, when I turn on the TV, it only takes a few seconds for me to start to believe that tomorrow we're going to be engaged in World War III. And I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know if we're just going to have a nuclear fallout. We're all going to be destroyed or whatever. But there is a little bit of assurance that I get thinking that the United States is at least ranked number one in the world militarily. We can go on and on with different things that we enjoy about our, our country, our, our affluency. You, you can be poor in America. You could have no house and no food. But if you want a house and food, I know firsthand that our government will hand it out to you. I know. <laughs> I've done it as part of the government. Some people just don't want it. We have money. We have a mixture of people. We have so many different things in this fallen world. We have relatively quite a bit of peace in our country. There's a lot of things that we like, but we know, and I can tell you know by the way that some of you are looking at me, that it isn't all rosy in our, in our country. There are a lot of things that we have issues with. Can you think of any specific issues that would raise concern for you? We had an election about a year ago. That went pretty smoothly. Huh? I think every day we hear about how we've never seen our nation so divided. Right? In fact, if you want to see people's blood pressure go up, Here's where everyone's going to hate me on one side or the other. Just say a certain name, right? No matter who you're with. You can be with Christians or non-Christians. Why don't you just go in the, in the middle of the conversation, just say out loud, just say, Nancy Pelosi. Or Hillary. Or Comey. Or Mueller. Or Megyn Kelly. Or, dare I say, Trump. Whew! He said it. Now, now before before... You jump out of your seat right now and you start running out the door and you say, oh great, he's bringing politics into the pulpit. I want to tell you, I am not. Jesus is. I did it. Okay. (laughs) I'm not going to try to convince anyone in here to vote a certain way. I am not going to try to convince anyone in here to stop following Nancy Pelosi on Twitter. But I will try my best to shed some light on how Christians should respond when living in a culture where we don't necessarily agree with all the decisions that are made. Believe it or not, our culture that we live in right now, where we have this mixture of all the different sort of beliefs and freedom to to practice our religion how we want and all that sort of stuff, is very similar to the culture that Jesus was living in at the time of our passage. It was extremely diverse. In fact, during that time frame, it was known as a time of the Pax, what is it? Pax Romana, Roman peace. 
right? This is kind of at the height of, of their, their, their empire. They had already conquered all this land and they were in control of so much. Okay, And because they had gone around and they conquered a lot and they weren't doing a lot of other military campaigns and stuff, there, there was a relative amount of peace, at least militarily. And they were in control of things that were going on. And one of the things about the Roman government that was similar to ours is they allowed people to worship whoever they wanted to worship or however they wanted to worship. And they allowed people to travel. Throughout all of their different campaigns, throughout all the different wars and stuff, some people were displaced to move from one place to another. Others chose to move from one place to another. And so with them, they brought all of their different beliefs, their religions, and all these different things. And so you see in Jerusalem a mixture. People that were worshiping their many different gods, like the Romans, they had tons of different gods. Then you had them uh, into sorcery, into Epicureanism, um, Stoicism. And then you had the Jewish people, the religious people. And they had their different sects. They had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots. There's a lot of tension. A lot of tension amongst all these different people. We have the Greeks over here and the Pharisees. We can't associate with them. We don't want anything to do with them. But they're over there and they're part of it. And then all of the religious people, they hated the fact that a Roman government was in control of them. This pagan government is over us and we have to pay taxes to them. And so there was a lot of tensions, even amongst their own people. And so that's kind of the scene in the background of kind of the culture and stuff for what's going on in our passage this morning. So if you would turn with me, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 22 and read verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in words, in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you're true and teach the way of God truthfully. You don't care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances. Tell us, then, what you... What you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left Him, and they went away. We're in the 22nd chapter of the book of Matthew. It's not the first time that we've seen the Pharisees come up and try to trip up Jesus and bring Him to His fall. They want Him arrested. They want Him killed. But this is one of the first times that we see the Pharisees join forces with one of their enemies to do their dirty deeds. The Herodians. We know a little bit about the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees, they don't want anything to do with the Roman government. In fact, they think that in order for them to be close to God, they need to be separate from the Roman government. They, they, can, they feel that they cannot associate with anything that has to do with any pagan sort of deities, 
anything that has to do with anything other than Yahweh, God, the Torah, the Word of God, and their, and their religious um, beliefs and things that they pass down. The Herodians, on the other hand, were completely the opposite. Right? When the Romans came in and they took over the province of Judea, they put into place King Herod. Herod the Great. Right? That's the original one, and there was a few other down the, down the line. And Herod, Herod the Great was called Herod the Great because he made um, these beautiful, he built up the city, made it gorgeous, Jerusalem was gorgeous, built up the temple, grandioso. He was a wonderful politician, but he was evil to the core. Not a God-fearer whatsoever, as we know. And so, they were in charge of collecting the taxes for the Roman government. They're an agent of the Roman government. And then we have Pharisees who hate the Roman government over here. And in our story this morning, they come together because they both have a common goal. The Pharisees hate Jesus because He says He's the Messiah. And they don't believe He's the Messiah. The Herodians, they don't care if Jesus thinks He's the Messiah or not. They don't believe it. It's neither, neither here nor them, um, for them. What they're, what they're concerned with is if this guy's claiming to be king, then he's going to be at opposition with Herod. We can't have another king. We run this area. And they're concerned with the peace. They just want to maintain peace. And Jesus is going around and some people are following and is stirring up some things, so they have a little bit of concern here. When we think back to when he was in turning over the, the money, money tables and stuff when he's in the temple and stuff. And so they're, they're like, yeah, yeah, this guy, he, he would just be better to be out of the picture. And so the Pharisees and the Herodians, they, they hold up their flags of truth. They, they reach across the table. They shake their hands. And it says they even spent some time and it says they plotted on how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they came up with what they felt was a perfect trap. A question about paying taxes. So, they felt this was, this was a wonderful question because it's a yes or no question. It's a heated topic, right? You have, we, we have the picture of all the different people that are together. We have the, the religious people and then we have the non-religious people. The ones that are for the government. The ones that are not for the government. If Jesus says... Pay taxes, he's going to make all the religious people angry with him. And they're going to mob him. But if he says, don't pay the tax, then the Roman government's going to say, shoot, we need to arrest him, let's go crucify him. Win-win. They don't care. They just want Jesus out of the picture. So they decided to pose Jesus with this gotcha question. In their minds, no matter what, it was going to be a win situation. So the disciples of the Pharisees, notice it says the disciples of the Pharisees. Pharisees himself didn't even go. They're probably chicken. I don't know. And the Herodians approach Jesus and then engage him with flattery. So they're buttering him up. They want to butter Jesus up first. And they say to him, Teacher, it just seems so slimy to me. I, I picture like the snake in the garden. Teacher, we know that you're true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Obviously, they don't really believe what they're saying. They're trying to get him killed. If they really believed what they were saying, they would be followers of Jesus. 
<clears throat> but what's interesting enough is everything they just said was true. Right? Jesus is true. He does teach the way of God truthfully, and He doesn't let the fear of people's appearance or opinions pervert His teaching. He simply teaches the truth in love. But the Pharisees and the Herodians, they don't believe anything they're saying. All they want to see is Jesus brought down to ruin. Listen to what Proverbs 26, 24 through 28 describes when talking about a flatterer. I think it describes them perfectly. It says, Whoever hates disguises himself, whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven ambitions in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruins. The Pharisees and the Herodians only have one goal, and that's to bring Jesus to ruin. And so they deliver to him their lethal question. They say, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This is the big gotcha question. Okay, It's going to be yes or no. But Jesus, he, he's, he's aware. He knows exactly. He sees right through their hearts. Just like He sees right through our hearts. He knows exactly what everyone's thinking in here. He knows what I'm thinking. And He says, he says But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test? You hypocrites. They're completely right. Jesus doesn't care what people think. And He's a straight shooter. He says exactly right. He sees what their hearts are, or what's going on in their hearts. He sees their malice and He calls them for what they are. He says, You're a hypocrite. He senses their flattery and he knows their intention. And then Jesus goes ahead and he turns around their whole question on him. Instead of saying yes or no to what they have to say, he forces the Pharisees and the Herodians to answer their own question. He says to them, Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Okay, so. In their time, they had taxes. We know this. They had taxes just like we have. They, they, with, along came with, with, the, with the Roman Empire, all their wonderful technology. They had wonderful water systems, great filtered water to drink. They had the aqueducts. They had um, sewer systems, roads, all these wonderful things. Their government that was powerful. They protected the people and the society. They kept the peace. And so there was lots of taxes they, they, or lots of things that tax money went to. But I think at this time, they actually were probably paying less taxes than we do today for some of the things that are going on. <clears throat> but this is, but those aren't the, that's not the tax that Jesus is referring to here. We're talking about a supercharged political moment. Like There's a lot of tension going on here. And this tax that Jesus mentions and that they're talking about, this is, this is the thing, this is the straw that's going to break the camel's back. Jesus refers to it. He says, Show me the coin for the tax. This is the poll tax. You know what the poll tax is? The poll tax is a tax that was issued and decreed by, by the Roman government that said everybody who is not a Roman cis, um, citizen has to pay this tax. 
and they had to pay it once a year. It wasn't a lot. It really wasn't that much money. It was the equivalent of a day to a day and a half's wages of just like a common military soldier at that time. So it wasn't, it wasn't just some huge burden that the people had to pay, but it's what it stood for. As I've said a few times now, they did not want the Roman government around because they did not want to be subject to forces that did not adhere to their beliefs. They, they didn't want to be um, serving the Roman government that had all their different um, gods that they worshipped and, and such. And they viewed this tax as another reminder that they're being controlled by an ungodly government. This was like an extra slap in the face to them. And then Jesus says to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? Looking at the denarius. They said Caesar's. So we have, so we have a denarius. On the, on the face of the denarius is a picture of Tiberius Julius Caesar. That's the, that's the, the um, Caesar at the time. Okay? And he's dressed just as a high priest would be dressed. And he has a diadem. And then around the coin, it says, Tiberius Caesar, worshipful son of the divine Augustus. And then on the opposite side is a picture of his mother, um, Livia. So on top of having to pay the poll tax, on top of all the other tension and stuff, these people are walking around with basically what they felt to be little idols. I wouldn't want that in my pocket. It wouldn't feel right, if nothing else. But Jesus wasn't afraid of the coin at all. So, says once again repeating it, And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And then he says, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Jesus said, The coin is Caesar's. It has his face on it. Give it back to him. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. In that time especially, and we have a little bit of it today, but the, if you had property or something that bore your image, that was your property. We think of the signet rings, ring sometimes. They put it on something. That's theirs. That's their property, especially at that time. And so, when, it, when he's saying here, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, he's not just saying, just, just give back the money to him as if you're giving Caesar a gift. Jesus is saying, you give back to Caesar because that belongs to Caesar. And if you stop there, his opponents, the Herodians and the Pharisees, are thinking it was a win. He chose a side. But of course we know he didn't stop there. Jesus continues. He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And then he continues and says, and render to God the things that are God's. At first, this could be a little bit confusing because you start thinking, well, okay, so I'll render to thank God the things that are God's. Well, everything's God's, including the money. So what's going on? Jesus does this in every single one of our parables. 
The people have an agenda. The people's minds are focused at a very shallow level. And Jesus does not just stay where they're at. He uses each opportunity to teach and to speak the truth. And He goes right to the heart of the issue. Jesus is going past the tax question. He's going past just the idea of money. And He's going to the root of the issue, which is the heart. Jesus is saying, submit to the government as long as they don't claim, lay claim on your worship. Because worship only belongs to the Lord. Jesus wanted to combat the mindset that the Pharisees had that they, they needed to separate from the government in order to be close to God. And He wanted to combat the mindset of the Herodians who said that um, we don't need God, we can just worship man. He's telling them both. No and no. He said, go ahead, give Caesar his money, it bears his image, but don't give him your worship because worship belongs to me because you bear my image. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created him. So we give everything to God because we belong to Him. This means every decision we make, every aspect of our lives should be in step with Scripture. Those of us who are Christian can testify that once we were lost in sin, but then Jesus saved us. He changed our lives and helped us to see that we're not citizens of this world. We're in fact ambassadors of the kingdom of God living in a fallen world. As Christians, we should always evaluate whether as Christians we're giving too much or too little to the state. We give too little to the state when we don't exalt passages like Romans 13, 1-7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror of good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. I just want to stop there just for one second. Do you know what one of the main driving issues was for the three revolts between um, the Jews and the Romans? Taxes? They didn't listen to Jesus here at all. That was one of the biggest things. They, they said, no, we are, we are not going to pay the Romans. And we know about the destruction of the temple in AD 70. And I was reading about it with uh, some, some of the writings of uh, Josephus. Holy cow. It was a long battle. And it started, and they, they, they cut off supplies into Jerusalem. And, and Josephus records that there was um, some of the Jewish soldiers that had gone into one of the houses 
And there was a mom who had to cook, who had cooked her kid to eat her kid because they were so hungry and they didn't know what to do and they just left. Eventually, the, the, the place was burned down, temple destroyed, and for days after the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, after it was laid waste, they were persecuting Christians by the number of five, or, or crucifying Christians by the numbers of five hundred a day. This is one of the main issues. It says right here, it says, Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. That's huge. We're going to come back to conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to, the, to this very thing. Pay all to um, what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. And we go past the money thing right here. Respect to whom respect is owed. This is where people are going to be mad at me later. Honor to whom honor is owed. We give too little to the state when we ignore the fact that our government was put in place by God for our good. And by give, I don't just mean money. I mean honor. That's what the Bible says. We should acknowledge that Trump and his cabinet have been put in place by God and we owe him respect and honor and we are to be submissive to our laws. But we don't give Trump this respect and honor because Trump is great. We give it because God is great. And He put Trump in place. When I work hard at work, sometimes I do it thinking I want to impress my boss because I've had bosses I like. But, all the time, even if I don't like my boss, I should be working hard and diligently because I'm a Christian. And because my work ethic and my integrity and everything that goes about our work should reflect who we are as Christians. We honor Trump and the laws of our land and pay taxes ultimately because we love Christ and our submissive behavior is testimony of our faith. That's what's important. Furthermore, we should remember that Jesus is concerned with motives. Okay, so this is important, right? We have the outward. Give honor. We can give honor on the outside. <laughs> it's different to give it on the inside. Okay, we saw this at the beginning. We, we already saw what Jesus said to them when they came with flattery. Call them hypocrites. The heart of the issue is bad. Jesus says, don't do that. That's Alan's interpretation. He's very, God is very concerned with our, with our motives in, in the desires of our heart. And we see this all over the Beatitudes, okay? He's saying, you, you know, don't, don't just not commit the act of adultery, but you're committing adultery in your heart if you're even thinking this way. 
There needs to be a change from the inside out. So when Jesus says, pay taxes, render honor and respect to the governing authorities, he is saying, do these things with genuine respect and honor. And I've been guilty on multiple occasions of, figuratively speaking, saluting my boss and then later slandering him behind his back. Trust me, I have not liked all of my bosses that I've had. And I, yeah, I'll stop there. And, um, but I've also had some very good ones. But, what I feel inside my heart, what my heart's desires are, the things that are coming out of my mouth about things are reflecting what is going on in here. And Jesus says that matters. As Christians, our motives should always glorify our Creator. And God has placed us on this earth to display love and forgiveness. And we're demonstrating His love and forgiveness when it, um, when it comes to honoring our supervisors at all levels, all the way up to the presidency. As Christians, we can speak truth and love with one another if we have disagreements or on, on different issues and things. But we need to be careful not to slander or have hatred for those in authority. Think about it. Romans 13 was written by Apostle Paul during the reign of the Roman Empire. The same government that imprisoned Paul on a few occasions. And Paul writes, on behalf of God, submit and honor the government. Be thankful for them. If any of us think that we have reason to hate Trump or Obama or Hillary, Paul and his disciples had a thousand times more reason to hate their government. But Paul was mostly concerned with wanting others to be saved. I, I really think, like, he, he got kicked out of one prison, went out on the streets, they continued to pray and worship and, and, and speak the truth. You never hear anywhere in Scripture where they're saying, I hate Caesar. Caesar's bad. No. Instead, you, you, you hear a heart that just says, this is the truth. Repent and be saved. It's a heart check. It's just thinking, God, save Kim Jong-un. Save Trump. Save whoever these people are. When you see someone that's totally debased and, and just is just out there in left field, is, is your first thing a, a judgment? Or is it a, God, I realize I am in this fallen world and I am a citizen of heaven. I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven and I'm here on this earth to spread your truth so that we may spread your truth so that others will know you. First Peter two thirteen through seventeen, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as set by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. There it is. Once again, we're not here to cover it up. We're here to be genuine people that love, 
that speak the truth. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. What a powerful passage. And though it's not always easy to obey. But I think the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, right? If we are called to do these things, and it's hard to do, God never calls us to do something without equipping us to be able to do it. So if we don't want to do it, if, we, if, we're, if we're just like just pushing against it, like, no, I could never like Obama. I could never, and I'm not saying you have to like him. It's, 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 it's honor and respect. But there's a difference between hating him. We're not supposed to hate. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's what we need to change inside when we're talking about things that we need to be cleansed from. We don't hate the people. We hate what is evil. They're fallen. We love them. And God will change our hearts. He'll mold us. He'll make us more this way. We just need to reach out to Him and ask for it. Start praying for someone you don't like and eventually you might actually start caring for them. Now for the hard question, of course. When is it that we actually can rebel against government? When is it okay to join with Peter and the apostles in Acts 5, verse 29, when they say, we must obey God rather than men? When is it okay to do that? And I think one of the greatest examples um, that we can use when we think about something like this is the story of Daniel. Everyone knows the story of Daniel. We've been hearing it forever, the story of the lion's den. But real quickly, let's recap a couple important things with that story. Daniel, Jewish, exiled from Jerusalem. They were taken over by Babylon. He's taken away out of his his home um, country. And he was liked a lot by the king and he was set up high on a pedestal. He was, he was able to oversee a lot of things. And um, we see in Daniel a, a man that was submissive to a government. We're talking about a government that does not know God. That removed him from his homeland. That killed many of his friends and family probably. And he submits. He's a good worker. He shows honor. He shows respect to the king. And the king likes him a lot. And he gives him a lot of authority. In fact, he likes him so much that the other people, his colleagues, were jealous of Daniel, right? And so they plotted, just like the Pharisees and the Herodians, they plotted, how are we going to bring Daniel to destruction? They they thought to themselves, we can't, we can't, there's no way that we can do it unless we do something that has to do with his faith. Because they saw that Daniel was a man of faith and integrity and he was never going to swerve from that. So they thought, ah, we'll go up to the king and they go with flattery. And they say, oh, wonderful king, we think this would be a wonderful idea. Why don't you make a decree that for 30 days, nobody can pray to anyone other than you? And if they do, they are to be thrown into the den of lions. Oh, well, yeah, that, that sounds good. And so then the king decrees that. And of course, Daniel does not sway because he is a man of God. He loves the Lord. And he's not going to render to Caesar what is God's, his worship. And so Daniel continues to do what he always does. He goes to his house and he's upstairs. He has the blinds drawn and he's in the window for everyone to see. This is how 
has always done it. He prays three times a day. And so the colleagues, they go up and they sit there and they watch and they say, oh, yep, he's doing it. He's doing it again. We got him. And they go back to the king. They say, oh, king, oh, king, great one. Guess what? Didn't you make this decree? Yes, I did. Well, Daniel was praying to his God and not to you. The king, king felt horrible because he loved Daniel. But he was afraid of man and he didn't want to go back on his decree. So he threw Daniel in the lion's den. And God shut the mouths of the lions and Daniel wasn't devoured. And Daniel was brought back out and the king was super excited because he loved Daniel. And he says, and he put Daniel in charge of even more people and more things after, after he was brought out of, out of the lion's den. And here's what's amazing. You would think Daniel would say, forget you, king. I'm not doing anything for you anymore. He continued to worship his God and to submit to authority and to work with integrity. That's huge. So we are to disobey our government when we're called to worship something or someone other than God. So those those kinds of that, that kind of incident is 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 kind of a black and white, it's kind of cut and dry situation. We see clearly, like they say, worship this person. We go, ah, ah you know, that's that's not God. I can't, I, I don't do that. That's that's easy. We know that wrong. There's other instances though where sometimes we make us scratch our head, like shoot. Is this one of those incidences? Is this, is this one of those ones where, where I need to rebel against my government? And trust me, I sat there and, and wondered a, a few different things when, when I was putting this together. And one of them was this. I've, I'm going to give you a few different scenarios. And I'm pretty sure that every single one of these scenarios, we'd probably get a mixture of responses from you. Abortion. Abortion is clearly a sin. That's no question. Okay, we're made in the image of God. Um, he created the child, um, the children, and uh, we have no authority to take those lives. It is murder. It is wrong. So, what's our response as Christians? We have protests all the time. We just had one recently in Eureka. And lo- most Christians easily would say, as long as we do peaceful protests and obey the laws of the land, then, then that's right. Well, I know one of, the, one of the pastors that I have a lot of respect for, and I know loves the Lord a ton, was arrested at one of these kinds of protests. Now, I don't know the details. I don't know exactly like what they did and stuff, but... Some Christians seem to at certain times in some of these kind of instances have such a strong conviction. These kids are being murdered by the droves. Do do we only pray and stand off to the side? If, If the government says, you know what, we can no longer protest in public, but you can go pray in your house. I mean, Daniel didn't have to sit in his window and pray. He could have drawn the blinds and they wouldn't have seen it. Tried to hide it. You know, we, we don't have to do it like that. We could just pray. We could just... How far can we go? When, when's it okay to cross the line and say, you know what? No, this is so wrong that I feel like God is saying it's okay to stand in front of Planned Parenthood door 
and try to obstruct people from going inside the door. Or no, I think, it, I think it's so wrong that it's okay to chain the door shut. I know that the pastor that I have tons of respect for that was arrested is, had to have violated some, some law. And he is one that, that preaches over and over again Romans 13. I don't know what, what law he broke, but he ended up in the Huskow. But I started thinking about this. What if I was the arresting officer? I hate abortion. Well, how bad do I hate it, right? Do I, if I agree with the, the protester, do I, do I disobey my work and then join the protest? Or do I just continue doing, doing my job and say, you know what, I love you, man. You're doing a great job. Let's go to the jail. What do we do? It might help to know more of the situation on some of those, or it might not. Or how about um, the Wyoming judge who's refused to marry gay couples? That's going on right now. The State Judicial Ethics Commission's recommendation is to remove her from office. Okay? The Bible's clear. Marriage is between a man and a woman because it is a picture of Christ in the church. I mean, it's a very big issue. I think she's right not to do that. But that's, but that's an issue where I know that if you go to many different churches, you're going to get many, I mean, there's churches that think that it's okay to, to, to be gay and get married. We don't hold that here. We don't think that's what the Bible says. What if our government came up with a law that said something like, parents, you can no longer spank your children. Tell you what I would do. I would disobey it. I would still spank my children out of love. Because in Proverbs 23.13 it says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. God commands us to spank our children in a loving manner because it corrects wrong behavior and serves to instill a knowledge that our loving God disciplines us in similar ways to grow us. See, some of these issues that we don't think are a big deal like Jesus telling them, look, listen to me, pay the tax, and then we see some of the ramifications with the destruction of Israel in AD 70. Some of them don't seem like something big to us. But we need to trust that God knows what He's talking about and obey Him even on things that we think are little, like spanking. Spanking to God is not just about getting your kid to do this right now at the moment. It's a bigger picture. It has to do with discipline. It has to do with our Christian walk and understanding like, God, why is this happening to me right now? Oh, maybe you're molding me. Maybe I'm suffering and going through some of this because you love me. There's always a bigger picture when God gives direction to some of these things. Oh yeah, here's okay. So here's the last one. This is. I wish this was bulletproof. I think Steve already knows what I'm going to say. What if the Second Amendment? Got 
what do you say, ratified or taken out? I don't know the right word. Is revoked. There we go. I know what a revoked license is. Um, amended or something, yeah. And the government said tomorrow, everybody in the United States of America needs to give up their firearms. Law-abiding Americans. America, the Christian nation. Yeah. Naomi and I were on two different pages with that. We need to at least realize that every issue in politics, in governments, in decisions we make with our families, raising our children, everything is important. And if we're going to take a certain strong stand at issue, if you say, no, I would not give up my gun and I would shoot the officer that comes to my door to grab it from me, you need to know how you're going to back that one up biblically. If you're going to give it up, you need to know why you would say that. There's so many hot topics issues and uh, there are some that are no-brainers and then there are those that are just hard. They are just hard situations. And so I threw out all this stuff out there and I don't have a specific answer for any of those specific instances because God seems to give specifics on certain things and not on others. And I think there's a reason for that. I think there's probably a few, and I think you could probably give me some more that I haven't thought of and tell me after. But I think there's some where it's like, yeah, clear, you do not pray to anyone else. The gun issue. I think that one's a little bit clearer for me, but um, okay, the abortion one, or something like that. I tend to think, and we're going to look at a a passage of Scripture that, that talks about our conscience a little bit more. But when we're in those instances, if we're living for Christ with all of our hearts, if we're growing in the Word, if we're around people all the time that that help and mold us and pray with us and stuff, there's times where God might say, do this and this incidence, but don't do it in this incident. I think what it does is it keeps us attuned to Christ, it keeps us dependent upon Him. I so often just want, God, just, just spell it out. Each one. So, so I know, so I don't have to spend any time in prayer with you. So I don't have to spend any time in meditation with you and reading the thing. Right? No, God says, you depend on me. I'm the one that has a relationship with you. I will guide and direct you. I give you my Holy Spirit. There's times where the right thing is not to do that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pacifist in Nazi Germany, pastor, theologian, 
ended up being one of the people that helped plot the assassination of Hitler. There are some people that think there's there's no biblical support for the for um, some of uh, the revolution and and uh, coming and and uh, some of the fighting that that our nation started on was founded on. So what what exactly would I leave? I'm I'm about done. What exactly would, would I leave us with for, for a council with some of this, right? I think first of all, um, a good biblical counsel would be when you're faced with something that's hard, get counsel from other Christians. Go to other Christians. Wrestle with them. Ask them. Say, say I don't know what to do in this instant. There's been so many times where I'm just looking at, at, at the situation from one angle. And my, my friend said, and I said, well, look, this Bible passage says this right here. And he said, yeah, well, look at this one. And I, oh, she has a whole new light on the situation. So it's important to seek, seek counsel. Seek counsel from other Christians. That sometimes can help in certain situations. Secondly, I would say pray. Seek God in prayer. Matthew, Matthew 6 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Pound on the door. Ask. Jesus says, come to me. I will give to you. I will show you. I want you to know. I don't want to just keep it hidden from you in these situations. I will be there with you. And finally, I'd encourage us with the Scripture in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Listen to this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Offer your bodies a living sacrifices and He will... He will he will be able to help us discern what His will is. Isn't it interesting that in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul tells us not to be conformed to the world. And then in the next chapter, he tells us to submit to the government. That's because our submission to the government does not mean that we have to be conformed to this world. Actually, our genuine submission is a result of our non-conformity to this world because it's fueled by... God. God tells us that He will give us the ability to discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect, and that is trustworthy for each hard situation that we may encounter. So our passage concludes this morning with this verse, speaking of the Pharisees and their Herodians. It says, when they heard it, what Jesus had said, they marveled. And they left him and went away. Do we marvel at Jesus' teaching? And if so, what's our response? Do we walk away from Jesus after hearing? Or do we follow him?
Als die knie nie. Jesus, you endured my pain. Savior, you bore all my shame. All because of you.